Well, good morning. Hey, we're going um, to continue today in the, uh, the Acts series that we've been doing, and, um, and I'm going to pray for us, and after we pray, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 5, which is where we ended last week, and, uh, and so just pray with me real quick that, we will, uh, that we'll all hear what, what God wants us to hear today. So let's pray. Father God, I'm, I'm thankful that you've given us another Sunday morning to gather together, and you've provided this place for us to meet. And uh, you've given us your word that's very clear about how we should live. And, and I ask, Lord, that today that, that we would hear your voice, that you would, you would fill this place with your spirit. We would, uh, we would know your power today. And, uh, and when we walk away from here, we'll know that we've experienced something uh, brand new and different that we've never experienced before. And, uh, God, we just look forward to what you're going to do uh, in this place on this day, and we ask this in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, um, we've been uh, we've been studying through Acts. Uh, the first we've gotten through the first four chapters, and last week we jumped into the first eleven verses of chapter five. And if you'll remember, that was kind of a a scary story where people were just being struck dead at church, which you know I've never seen happen in real life today, but it happened back then, and so that was kind of a kind of a strange thing to read about and. But I, I think that, that, uh, that we learned some stuff last week about what the, what the real issues there were. And so today we're going to continue, and we're going to finish the rest of chapter 5. And, uh, and just I want you to know, we're, we're almost done with this series. We're going to do two more weeks, and we're going to go through chapter 7, and, uh, and or, or right up to the beginning of chapter 7. And uh, if you haven't been here for all of these, um, go back on your uh, computer and, and download, go to the website and you can download the podcast you, or you don't even have to download it, you can just sit and listen to it right there. But I, I, want, I want all of us to kind of know that, that this is a story that's taken place and we've seen where the church was from the very beginning. We started off before the church really existed when it was just Jesus and the disciples and he gave them some final words and then he left and then the church was born and then Pentecost. And, and, uh, and one of the things that we've seen through these five chapters so far is that even though Jesus is no longer physically on earth during these stories, um, that the presence and the power of God is just as real as it's ever been. That even though Jesus as a, as a human, as, as you know, Jesus was fully human, he was fully God, which is hard for us to understand, he was God taken on human form, that, that even though he was no longer here, that the power and the presence of God was, was just as strong as ever. And we saw that in, in, at Pentecost when, when Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people get saved at one time and baptized. We saw that when Peter and John go to the synagogue and they heal a man who was crippled and he begins to walk. And we, we saw that last week in a different kind of way when, when God displays his power by just knocking some people right out of commission because they, were, they had lack of integrity and they weren't dealing with their money the way they were supposed to. And so, so one of the things I want us to realize is, is that although, although God is not, Jesus is not physically on earth anymore, you can't go to Waffle House with him and sit down across from him and eat hash browns and discuss your day like you could back then. His presence is just as real as it's ever been. You can still talk with him. You can still have that growing relationship with him that's real even though you can't touch him physically. And so the, the fact that, that God, that Jesus had left the earth and, and, and had left the Holy Spirit, the, the power of God was moving, and we were seeing that. And so I'm going to start in, in Acts uh, 5, verse 12. And, uh, and we're, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read through a lot of verses, and I'm going to talk to you as we go. 
And, uh, and yeah, I know y'all are saying, why are you sitting down? I'm just going to try to sit down all day today, okay, because I'm kind of tired. No, I'm not tired. I just thought, <clears throat> since I'm reading and talking, I'm going to try it. I don't know if I can do it or not, all right, because I get excited and I might want to jump up and walk around, but I think I can do it. So look to the person to your left or your right and say, I don't think he can do it, or I do think, whatever one you think, all right, because I, I'm going to try to just stay sitting right here the whole time. Who's got money on me not doing it? I'm... Okay, well, sweet. If we can get the bets up high enough on the good side, I'll stay right here as long as I get a cut, right? Hey, let's start at Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And you remember we read verses 1 through 11 last week, and you remember that story? Ananias and Sapphira show up at church. They give an offering. They lie about how much it was, you know, that kind of thing. God strikes them both dead. They buried them right there on the spot. Didn't even have a funeral. And then now we get to verse 12. What happens after that? says this, the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one, now listen to this, no one else dared to join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Now check this out, evidently the word about the offering plate deaths that had occurred had gotten out, and people were just flat scared to come to church. It's like, man, I would go over there, but I heard people dropping dead. I ain't going over there. But now check out the next verse. I love this, what it says. So people are scared to show up. Verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. Now, if people were so scared that they weren't coming to church because they were afraid they were going to get struck dead, how is it then that even though people weren't showing up, it says more and more men and women were coming to faith. More and more men and women were, were hearing about Jesus and, and, and committing their lives to him. Well, there's only one explanation, right? It, it just, it just, and, and based on what we've seen, how the apostles have lived from the first five chapters here, what was going on? They were walking out of church where they were meeting, and, and they were taking the message outside. They, they, were, they took the message outside. So, so they didn't just hang out and, and hear what was going on and, and slap each other on the back and say, Ooh, yeah, God's good, man. I'm glad we all believe, and walk home and never tell anybody else about it. It said that they would go out of there and, and more and more people were believing. So even though they're scared and they don't understand what's going on, they're, they're telling them the message and people are accepting the message of Jesus. See, what was going on here kind of reminds me of church today. In, in today's day and age in the south where we live, right now, there in, in the, the, just right up the road here, down here, all over this area, there are tons of people right now sitting in church just like we are. They're listening to some guy like me stand up here and talk and run his mouth. And the majority of the folks that are sitting in church this morning already believe. The majority of you this morning already believe. Now, probably not all of you, but if I were to say, hey, how many of you are followers of Jesus? You're committed to him. You want to live for him. The majority of you would raise your hand and say that you are. And that's what was going on back then. The majority of people going to church, they were already believers. And the, and the folks outside they didn't understand what was going on, so they were kind of scared to come in. Today, we've got folks outside that aren't coming in because they don't really understand what's going on. They're, they're not afraid they're going to get struck dead 
but, but they don't know what's happening. They don't know how to dress. They don't know how to talk. And they think, well, I, I don't understand. I don't know anybody over there. So they're staying outside. So the only way we can expect for more and more men and women to accept the message of Jesus like what happened back then is we've got to take the message that we hear in here and we've got to take it outside to where they are. We've got to take it outside of these walls just like what the apostles did. And, and what I love is is that what was being taken outside from the church was power. Look what it says there again. Look at verse uh, 15 and 16. It says, As a result, the people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them. They, they were so enamored and aware of the power of God that was at work that they thought, if, if Peter walks by, maybe just his shadow will fall on somebody and they'll get, they'll, they'll get healed. Now, we don't have any proof that that ever happened. But that's what people outside the church thought would happen. They knew there's something powerful going on in there. People are being struck dead when they bring the offering. People are being healed. Something's happening, and we want to get a part of it. Now, we're afraid to go in, but we want a part of it. So they'd hang around the outside and wait for Peter to walk by. And then in verse 16, it says, Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. So people, that when, when the apostles and the other believers, when they left out of Solomon's colonnade where they met and they took the message outside, it was a message of power. It was a message that God can overcome whatever's going on in your life. God can overcome your sickness. God can overcome your addiction. God can overcome your sinful behavior. God can overcome all of that stuff. That's the message they were taking outside. And that's why more and more people were, were being saved because they were hungry for that. They wanted the power of God in their life. They just didn't understand how to get it. And that's the message we need to be taking out of here. I know that life is hard, and sometimes we live out there as if we're defeated. We live out there as if we can't do anything, and like, like life's just too hard for us. And, and what we need to be taking outside is the understanding that, yeah, life is hard, and, and we're having a hard time, but God is more powerful. God can overcome whatever it is. He can overcome our garbage, and he can overcome the garbage of the people that we hang around with. This Saturday, you know, we're doing Halloween Hoopla. We just talked about that, and, and, um, and that's a great way for us to get the word out about our church, and, and, I, and, and we need to do those kinds of things, and, and we've done all kind of other things in the past and, uh, you know, handed stuff out in neighborhoods, and all those things are good. But you know what I love about this verse here is it doesn't say that uh, they met together and then it says, nevertheless, the church did a big mail-out, and more and more men and women believed in the name of Jesus. Or the church did a big block party, and more and more women and men and women believe the name of Jesus. All those things are good. Mailouts are good. Halloween hoopla is awesome. I'm glad we're doing it. But the, still, back then and still today, the best advertisement for what Jesus is doing in this church is word of mouth. It's for us to walk out of here, and before we get home, send somebody a text or call somebody and say, man, you missed it at church today you got to come with me next week. I'll come pick you up. Or to go to work tomorrow. I know you're not going to church anywhere, but I wish you'd come with me to my church because God's doing stuff there. That's still the best advertisement for, for what goes on what goes on here week in and week out. I, I, I love it when, um, when people say encouraging things to me about the message because I'm just like anybody else. I like to be encouraged, so I love that. And and, and some of y'all have said some really nice things lately about this series and Acts and how it's had spoken to you and that kind of stuff, and I love that. But you know what I love even more than that? 
I love when you tell somebody else that doesn't go to this church about that. Not to brag on me, but just to talk about what God's doing. And just to say, man, i got to tell you what happened yesterday at church. Our pastor said this, and this is what God did in my life as a result of that. Or we read this verse in church yesterday. Let me read it to you. And that will be what the way we will see more and more men and women come to faith in Jesus is if we take the message that we hear in here and we take it outside to the people out there. There's a verse in Philippians that, uh, that I love, Philippians 2, 1 and 2, and, and um, Paul kind of is, is pleading with the church there about how they should live, and he says this. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. And what Paul's saying there is, there was kind of some division in the church there, and he said, listen, if Jesus has done anything at all for you, ever, then be unified over it. And what I would say to us today is if, if Jesus has done anything at all in your life through the ministry of this church, if you've ever walked out of here encouraged by what you heard, if you've ever built any kind of relationship with someone in this church, if you've ever, if you've ever been, uh, uh, had a, a, one of your needs met from people in this church, then go outside and tell somebody about it. If anything at all is positive has ever happened to you as a result of this church, then tell someone else. And that's, what we're gonna, that's the way we're going to see this church grow and become what it is that God wants it to become, just like uh, what was happening at the beginning there of Acts. Now look at verse 17 and 18. So people are scared to come to church. People are getting saved anyway. People are being healed. Great stuff. Then verse 17 and 18. All, everything's happy so far. Then look what happens here. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Now remember, these are the same guys. Do you remember back when Peter and John went to church, they healed the crippled guy, and then some guys arrested him? Do you remember that? Same guys right here. It was the Sadducees. Remember what did we say about the Sadducees? What do the Sadducees not believe in? They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in eternal life. So they believe you die, you're dead, that's it. You had a good life and it's over with. And, and so, so they're, they're, they see what's going on and, and, uh, and, and they've already arrested Peter and John before. So this time they say, you know what? Arresting Peter and John didn't work. We brought them in. We told them to shut up about Jesus. They are still teaching. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. Tell what we'll do this time. We'll arrest all the apostles, all 12 of them. We'll bring them all into jail. That's the whole leadership structure of that church. Surely if we arrest all of them, everyone else will quit going to church because all the leaders are gone, and, and that's what, that was their plan. They just decided to do that. And then I love what happens, though, next. I told you at the beginning that God was showing his power through these first five chapters of Acts. He does it one more time. Look at verse 19. This is what happens. So they're in jail, all 12 of them. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Here's just a cool little thing uh, that I think is awesome. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels either. And it was an angel that was the one that opened the door and said, all right, boys, y'all come on out, which is pretty cool that, uh, that God showed his power that way. So they, so they get out of jail. Now, you know, if I'm in jail, been unjustly accused and, and been put in jail, and, and I've had a miraculous escape, what am I doing? I'm going home, right? I'm going to go home and see my wife and my girls and be like, I was in jail, now I'm home, baby. Ain't you happy? And all that kind of stuff. But look what happens. Verse 20 and 21, check out what happens instead. 
So they get miraculously released from prison. And this is the angel has a message for them. The angel says this, verse 20. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. So they get released, but before they can go home, the angel says, go back to the exact same place where they arrested you and do the exact same thing that they arrested you for. Verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. As they had been told. There's so many times that God tells us to do something that just doesn't make a lot of sense to us. In fact, you, if you told other people, man, I, I'm reading the scripture, I'm listening to, listening to the pastor at church, I'm, I'm, I'm praying daily, and I really feel like I, I hear the voice of God and he's telling me to do this. And if you told other people that, they'd say, man, you're crazy. God's not telling you to do that. And they'll begin to tell you all the reasons why you can't do that. And so many times we get messages like that from God. And instead of doing what the apostles do in verse 21, we come up with excuses why we can't do it. But in verse 21, the very thing that seems like the dumbest thing to do, you've just been arrested for this, don't go back and do it again. The angel says, go back. And in verse 21, they obeyed immediately. As soon as, as, soon as the sun rose, as soon as people started showing up at the temple, they were there. And they began to teach. They began to teach the same message they've been teaching through this whole time. That is, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Y'all crucified him, and you've got to believe in him if you want to be saved. They begin to teach that same exact message. And then look at the rest of verse 21. It says this, When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. So what they're planning on doing is, we got these boys in jail, we're going to bring them in here, we got all the ruling elders, and we're going to make a decision, we're going to do some kind of serious punishment to these guys. Verse 22, but on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with the officers and brought the apostles. I love this next part. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, we begin to get a glimpse of, of what I think is an important part of this story. We begin to see how the Sadducees really were not in control of the situation. They, they wanted the apostles to think they were in control. They wanted the people to think that they were in control. But ultimately, they were not in control of what was going on. They were not in control of the situation. See, they had no authority to determine what was going to happen to the, to the apostles. Who has the authority to determine what's going to happen to the apostles or not happen? Who has the authority to determine what's going to happen to us or not happen to us? Somebody answer out loud. God, Jesus. That's who has the authority. And in uh, Matthew 28, 18, it's not on the screen. Oh, it is on the screen. Awesome. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said this at the beginning of the, of the uh, Great Commission. He said, how much authority? Say it with me. All. One more time. Say it with me. All. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Jesus gets to determine what's going to happen to the apostles here, not the Sadducees. And so when it says that they brought them in, but they didn't use force because they were afraid that they would get stoned if they did that, it's just a little glimpse into the fact that these guys weren't really in control like they thought they were. Then start at verse 27. Let's read some more. It says this, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. Now before I go on any further, does anybody remember what Peter and John said when, when they healed the guy? Peter said almost this exact same thing earlier. Peter said to them, actually back then he said, Judge for yourselves whether we should listen to God rather than men. And he was saying, We're not going to shut up. We're still going to talk about this. And so Peter, he's just repeating what he said earlier. We must obey God rather than men. Then verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. When I was thinking about this, this situation, what was going on here, and how the, how the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the whole ruling council, how they wanted the apostles to think that they controlled what was going to happen to them. That the Sadducees wanted them to think, listen, your fate is in our hands. That's what they wanted them to think. And what it kind of reminded me of is um, if you've ever been involved in any type of abusive relationship. Uh, and, and I hope that you have not, but in a room this size with this many people in here, I know that's not the case. There's some of you in here, you've been involved in an abusive relationship before. And, um, and one of the things that I've seen over the years and have read about and talked to folks about is um, if, there's a, if there's a man who's abusing his wife, even if it's not physical abuse, if it's just emotional and mental abuse, uh, one of the things, one of the things that an abusive person uses to control the person that they're abusing is, is they begin to make them think that without they, the abuser makes the abused think that without them, without the abuser, the abused has no future. They begin to say, "Well, you can't leave me. You can't do this. I'll find you, or you won't have any money." And and they and they, they make they they abuse the person so much that they make them believe that their fate lies in the hands of the abuser. And it's a lie, is what that is. But, but that's what an abuser does. And it doesn't have to be an abusive husband. It can be an abusive boss. Maybe you've been in a situation where you've got a boss that's, that just abuses the people that work under them and, and makes them believe that, well, if you leave here, I won't give you a recommendation. You'll never have another job. And, and they make you believe that your fate lies in their hands. And that's exactly what the Sadducees were trying to do here. They're telling them, listen, you've got to shut up talking about Jesus. You can't talk about Jesus. If you do, you don't understand what we can do to you. We can have you killed. We can have you put in jail again. We can make your life miserable. And they begin to, to tell all this stuff, and they want the apostles to believe that their fate lies in the hands of the Sadducees. But what they don't understand is, is the only reason that the apostles are standing before them is because God allowed it to happen. 
And the only message that the apostles have to share is the one God's given them to share. And the only way they're going to shut up about what God's told them to, to say is if God tells them to shut up. And that the only thing they had to fear was not the Sadducees, was not the Sanhedrin, was not what they could do to them. The only thing they had to fear was what God would do to them if they disobeyed Him. Because their fate lied in the hands of God. And our fate lies firmly in the hands of God. You might feel, you might be in a situation where you feel like there's no escape. You might be in a situation where you feel like someone else controls what's going to happen to you, whether it's a boss or a bank or a, a husband or a wife or whatever, a friend. And you think, if I don't do what they say, if I don't continue to act the way they want me to act, then they can do all this kind of stuff to me. And maybe you've even been put in a situation where someone wants you to, to be quiet about your faith. And someone wants you to, 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 to not live under the moral code that, that the Bible asks you to live under. And they want you to cheat on those morals because it's business or because it's something else. And they want you to believe that if you don't do those things, they're, they're, you're going to lose your job and you're going to lose your house and you're going to lose everything. And they want you to think that they're in control of what's going on in your life. And I want you to know today that if God has told you to do something, there is no excuse for you, to, for you to ever back off of that or shut up about it. If God's told you to say something, you should never shut up about that. And it doesn't matter what anyone's telling you they could do to you or they're going to do to you because your fate lies in the hands of God. And the only punishment that's going to come to you will be punishment that He allows to happen for His glory and for His good. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. Look at verse 34. So what happens here? So they're ticked off. They're telling them, you've got to shut up about Jesus. Verse 33, they want to kill him. They're going to try to have him executed. Verse 34, this is another example of how God shows his power in really strange ways. It says this, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Now check this out. Who, who did Jesus always have huge arguments and disputes with? The Pharisees, over and over again. He called the Pharisees vipers, and he called them whitewashed tombs, and he called them sons of the devil. He called them all kind of stuff. Now, here's a Pharisee of all people who's going to stand up and come to the apostles' defense, which is another way that God's showing his power, that he's in control of what's happening here, not the Sadducees. Verse 36 says this, or 35. Then he addressed them, talking about Gamaliel, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in, re in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. See, Gamaliel understood the concept. He understood that God was really in control of this situation. Sure, the Sadducees had had them arrested. Sure, they had put them in jail for a night. But if God wanted them out of jail, guess what? They were out. He sends an angel and opens the doors. Sadducees can't do anything about it. 
Sure, the Sadducees wanted to have them executed, but if God wanted them not to be executed, he would even have a Pharisee stand up to be their defense attorney in the situation. God was in control, and Gamaliel understood that. So look what happens, verse 40. His speech persuaded them. Now let's stop right there. His speech persuaded them. So I'm sure the apostles are thinking, sweet, now we can go home. It's over with. This dude stands up. We didn't even pay for him. He's like a pro bono provided by the state defense attorney. He walks in here. He, you know, presents our case. Now the prosecutors are letting us go home. We're, we're in good shape. But look what had happened. His speech persuaded them. I guess what it means here is it persuaded them not to have him killed because look what it says next. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now when I read had them flogged, we read that and we think, oh, that's kind of bad. Let me tell you how bad it was. This is what flogging was. They would strip you down uh, to just your, your britches. Your, your, uh, sh- I guess they had a tunic on. I don't know. Maybe they stripped them completely naked. But anyway, they didn't have any clothes on from the waist up. They would get on their knees and tie their hands behind their back. And then they would take a whip that had bits of bone and stone and that kind of stuff in it. So when it hits you, it jerked some of your flesh off of you every time they ripped it back. They would take that and they would give them 39 lashes. One on the chest, two on the back. One on the chest, two on the back. One on the chest, two on the back. Until it added up to 39. That's 13 on the chest, 26 on the back. 39 lashes. It, this was such a violent punishment that there's recordings in history of men dying just from this that the stress and the blood loss would kill them. So here you've got the 12 apostles. They they are doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. An angel of God then gets them out of prison and instead of letting them go home, gives them the message again, go back and do what you were doing. They go back and they do what God was doing. And the thanks that they get for that, the reward that they get for that, is they get lashed 39 times and have their chest and their back tore all to pieces. Now, if that was most of us, I would think we would have a little issue with God about that, if we're honest. We would think, God, I thought you were, I thought you were rescuing me. You, you got me out of prison. You sent an angel to release me. I thought that was the whole deal. I thought that I was going to get out. And now this has happened? Now... I'm not even going to be able to lay down tonight to go to sleep. This is going to be, I don't know, I'm going to have to risk infection now. And, and, and you did this to me, God? You allowed this to happen to me? Look how the apostles responded. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, They never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. That line where it says they rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Do you know how far we go to keep from suffering disgrace? You know how far we go out of the way to keep from suffering anything that makes us even a little bit uncomfortable? I mean, if if we have a rainy Sunday, 
our attendance dips every single time we have rain on Sunday morning because there are folks that we call ourselves followers of Jesus and we just don't want to get wet. Here were guys that, that they went and did exactly what God told them to do and they had a violent punishment that none of us will hopefully ever have to endure and when it ended they were rejoicing in the fact that they could be counted worthy to suffer just a small bit the same way that Jesus suffered. When uh, Sherry and I were in seminary, we had some really, really close friends that, that went to Africa to be missionaries. And um, they got over there, and, and, and they had not been serving long. As a, as a man and woman, had three kids. And, um, and we saw all the sacrifice it took for them to go to Africa. They literally sold or gave away everything they had. Uh, and just to, just to let you know what kind of people these were, um, he had, a, he had a, a car. It wasn't a brand-new car, but it was a nice car. And he could have gotten probably five to $7,000 for that car if he would have sold it before they left and had that money and could have put that in savings. But he knew a, a friend of ours on campus who was a seminary student that didn't have a car, so he gave it to him because he wasn't going to need the car in Africa. Just gave him the car. Didn't worry about what kind of money he might lose. That's the kind of people these were. And uh, so they go to Africa, and, and they're serving over there. And they'd been over there just about a year or so. And, and Sherry and I had moved to Greer at that point. And we get word one day that um, the, the man, uh, he had left and, and had gone on a, uh, to a conference for a couple of days. And, and the lady was home by herself. And while she was home, some men broke into her house and beat her. And I'm going to tell you something. That was probably the first time in my life that I was angry at God. And I was angry. And I remember, I remember talking to God and, and, and kind of just hollering at Him. And I remember saying, God, these people went over there to serve you and you can't protect them any better than that. It just didn't seem fair to me. That, that a woman who would, who would give up all, everything, left her family behind her. She had a, an, a mother who was old and, and lived by herself in Tennessee and left her behind, left all that stuff, and, and goes over there to serve. And after being there less than a year, people break into her house and beat her up so bad that she has to be hospitalized. And, and I'm saying, why would you let this happen, God? And I was angry at God until I picked up the phone and we called over to Africa. And I talked to her on the phone. And when her voice came on the phone and she began to talk, the calm in her spirit was exactly like these verses. She wasn't angry at God. She, can, she In fact, she was encouraging me on the phone. Here I was living in America with power and everything else that I've got. No danger of somebody breaking in my house and beating me up for no reason. And she had endured what she endured, and she was encouraging to me. And she began to tell me about how that she knew they were exactly where they needed to be. And she knew that, that they were serving God, and that she didn't understand why this happened, but she was going to rejoice through it, and that she was going to bless God through it all. And she was already praying, not that she wouldn't get beaten up again. She wasn't praying that the house would be safer. She was already praying that God would give her an opportunity to share the gospel as a result of what had happened to her. And that's exactly what happens in these verses. Is that the, the apostles are following what God wants them to do. And they get, they get punished severely for it. And instead of being angry with God, instead of saying, God, I'm supposed to be taken care of all the time, they said, God, we're not praying for deliverance, but we're praying for boldness, just like they did earlier. 
And it says that they went out and they proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ day after day and that they never stopped. See, what we see in, in the first five chapters of Acts is we see that the apostles, that there was just great potential for them to, to literally change the world, and they did. They changed history. And I believe, and this is not just preacher talk, this is the truth, I really believe this, that there is even greater potential in this room right here than there was in the 12, to 12 apostles. There's more of us. There were 12 of them. There's a couple hundred of us. And I believe that, that there is great potential in this room if all of us if we will begin to understand that the power of God is real and that He wants to move and we'll begin to understand that He's given us a job to do and that we have things that we can accomplish, that there are ways that we can make a difference, that there is great potential for us to change this church, change our community, change our state, and change our world. We have that potential. But I understand that sometimes we can feel like the apostles. We can feel like we're trying to do good, but we're being flogged. That, that every time we try to make a step forward, that, that something comes up against us. And, and to, to be honest with you, I understand that, that doing good is difficult, and it's much, much easier just to do nothing. It really is. It's, it's just easier just to kind of get your own family together and take care of them and not worry about anybody else. Doing good is difficult. But I thought about the, uh, when I read this story, I thought about the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians. And look on the screen. Galatians chapter 6. Paul said this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. One of the things that I think all of us know to be true, and maybe maybe you haven't discovered this yet, but weariness doesn't come on you all at once. Weariness just kind of settles in. And so when Paul says there, let us not become weary in doing good, you don't just wake up one morning and you just decide, man, I'm weary of doing this. It, it begins to, to kind of follow you around. And it kind of begins to sneak up on you. And, and you find that the, the things that you used to enjoy and the things that, that you used to do with great passion because you knew it was making a difference, your passion is starting to die out. And, and when you become weary, it can kind of be like sitting in, sitting in the mist. You don't realize you're getting soaking wet, but you are. I remember going to a ball game one time with my, with my daddy, and he had a, a, a bright yellow rain suit. And he had one for me. Well, I was 16 years old. Man, I was way too cool to wear a bright yellow rain suit. And it was just misting. I can't be getting, we're not getting that wet. Well, by the, about the middle of the second quarter, I was soaked down to my drawers. But it wasn't pouring down rain. It was just settling in on us. And that's what weariness can be like. And maybe you're right now, you're in the midst of it. You're in the midst of weariness that it's just hard to do good anymore. It's hard to do what you know Jesus wants you to do. Maybe if you're not in the midst of it, you can feel it coming up. And I want to encourage you and just to tell you to, to have faith 
And understand that, that God sees the good that you do. And, and just like it says here in verse 9, that at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest for that good. You might not see it now. You might not see it next month. You might not even see it five or ten years from now. But if you'll keep doing what God's told you to do, if you'll keep praying for that person that needs to accept Jesus. I met with some people the other day, and a lady, she prayed for her husband for ten years that he would get saved. Ten years, every day, four or five times a day, she said she would pray for him that he would get saved. When he was 37 years old, he got saved, and now he's planting a new church, pastoring a church. She didn't give up on that praying. I know that it's hard. I know that weariness can settle in on you. But don't listen to the critics that tell you you're not doing any good. Don't get discouraged by the, the flogging that you feel like you're enduring. Have faith that God's going to keep his promise, that he's going to do what he said he would do. Don't lose heart because in the end, God is the authority. He will determine what's going to happen, and we have to trust in him. I want us to pray. And I, I, I want you to walk out of here today encouraged by the potential that you have, the potential that God has put in you to make an impact in the place that you live, in the place that you work. I believe God really can use you to change the world. He used the apostles, who we talked about already, were described as unschooled, ordinary men. And if he can use them, he can use us as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that, that you are the one that determines the outcomes. You're the one that determines what's going to happen to us and that we can trust in you and we know that, that your plans are always for our good. God, I thank you that the Scripture tells us that you give us new mercies every single day. Because, God, we use them up in a hurry, and we need a new batch in the morning. So, Father, I pray that today when we walk out of here that we wouldn't just leave as, as people who um, are defeated, even though life's hard. Lord, I pray we'd walk out of here telling people about the power of who you are, about how you have the power to overcome whatever it is that they're dealing with. You can overcome physical illness and mental illness and addiction and uh, just our bad behavior and our stupid choices. You can overcome all of those things. And so, Father, remind us today that when we walk out of here that you have placed in us your spirit. If we're your followers, your spirit lives in us. And because of that, we have unlimited potential to make an impact in our society and in the places that we live. Help us to follow you more closely. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.